0: I could start us by asking how many times uh, Package Index has crashed this week. Oh, it's never crashed though. That's that was that's the problem. <laughs> well, this is your, this is your answer. This is your answer. This is this is the show. This this is the show. <laughs> well,
1: here we are. Here we are. It it didn't actually crash. It did not crash. The problem was it 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 should have crashed. That would have been actually easier.
0: <laughs> the problem is it it, it hung. So yeah, we've we've been having a a extremely long standing problem with the package index that um, Sven has been uh, in- incredibly diligent in in constantly restarting the servers every time they uh, uh, they go down. Yeah. Um, but as you say, it's a hang not a crash
1: yes and that wasn't even clear so initially i thought it was perhaps related to a crash because there were some some stack traces and well not stack traces but but dumps um seg um, seg faults in the or signal 11s in the in the logs and it was really unclear what the cause for the hang was so the only symptom we had like the service wasn't working anymore and this wasn't the website this was one of our batch jobs so it's not it's not terrible for the site it just means that our you know updates sort of start lagging because one part isn't running anymore and it wasn't really so the only symptom was in in the logs there was just a final message you know this is, uh, sort of that's the last thing the thing did and then nothing else and it was un- unclear what's going on there was cpu being used so something was churning but nothing happening and this started happening when we converted over from event loop futures to async await so I think we started this almost two years ago. I think in, in winter 21, 22 is when we first started this, right? That's when mm-hmm. Async Await came out in 5.7, right? 5.6? I think it was 5.6. six. It might maybe. have been 5.6, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's two versions per year. I may be wrong, there. Yeah. Um, and initially, it was fairly infrequent, And I think if, you know, in hindsight, I think it happened more and more frequently because we converted more and more stuff to async await. Right. But that's really a guess because we don't really know yet. We, we just have a fix now, finally. And like huge thanks in particular to, to Gwyn Raskin here, because she was really, really helpful in tracking this down and effectively, essentially the fix was, um to remove one of our task groups uh, async await task groups that we'll be using to kick off our processing Uh, part of the processing we were doing there was running shell jobs that do git operations and very early on she suspected that's the problem but we sort of (laughs) we always wanted to actually find out what the problem was so we we delayed making that change also because we were sort of hesitant to make it because you know when you because the fix was actually take out that task group and make those batches not run concurrently anymore so there was a bit of a concern that we lose um performance uh, you know we were running things in parallel um yeah. that gave us some advantage because often things were waiting on network while others were running good jobs and doing database updates so there was sort of Um, a good use for concurrency because different parts of the system are used separately and you know do you want to use utilize all of it as much as you can and making that just single threaded um was sort of a concern but in in the end we probably lost way more time when this job was down and waiting for me to to notice or you know respond to the alerts that we had and, and restarted And, you know, it's, it's one of those things also, it didn't happen immediately. So any change we made, we sort of thought, well, is that it? And then we waited for hours, sometimes days, because you could never know, you know, typically would happen a couple of times a week. In the end, it happened multiple times a day. That was actually an improvement in the sense that we had a faster turnaround in trying to debug it Um, because initially any change we'd made would effectively, you know, let's meet
0: again next week and see how we did these these bugs that don't occur uh, regularly uh, are a real pain because it, you you do, you just, you try something, you don't really know whether it's going to work or not. And then you have to wait 24 to 48 hours for it to, to, to get the news. And for the first, you know, for the first 12 hours, you might be filled with hope. Yeah, exactly. You think, all right, we have a
1: couple of times where I text, it's looking good, it's looking good. And then, oh no, I just...
0: just. <laughs> but it really was it, towards the end it was happening multiple times uh, a day which which uh, is is not a great uh, situation because it did like you say it didn't affect the uptime of the website but it did affect our processing of new package versions and that kind of stuff so it was it was it was not critical in that people could still um people could still access the website but it was it was an important Uh, bug. And it's just been, I mean, it must be, well, it's like you say, it's since the introduction of async await, which is a couple of years, isn't it? So Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's been, it's been really long. And again, I mean, if, if this had been like this multiple times a day, I mean, we'd probably fix it sooner or found out ways to address it sooner. The fact that it was just initially a couple of times a month is something you just effectively ignore, right? If a service hangs twice a month. yes you just restarted, it, right? It's not great, but it's also not terrible, you know, it's especially in hindsight, how much time we sunk into fixing this up. Yeah, yeah if, yeah. if I had to make that choice again twice a month or trying to figure this out, I mean, twice a month is, I'll take that. <laughs> that was easier.
0: <laughs> That's the blessing of um, Async Await being adoptable slowly in that we could, you know, we did start to uh, introduce it and replace it first of all in new code and then started to replace bits as we as we touched a bit of code You might convert it from uh, event loops to uh, async await But of course uh, the more we did that the more it seemed to uh, get <laughs> this problem got worse, right? Yes,
1: yeah, and, and I wouldn't I wouldn't change I wouldn't make that trade either I mean, I'm happy we made that change to async await. It just makes
0: of course Yeah. maintaining the code much nicer we should be very clear here and, and say that we're not saying that task groups are bad. <laughs> uh, no. th- I think this is, I, I know we haven't logged uh, a bug for this yet because I think getting a reproducible case for this is going to be, I don't know, tricky. Yes, so I was going to get to that.
1: We We haven't reported that really because it's effectively, I wouldn't even know how to report that. You know, a task group on Linux in certain situations can cause hangs. I mean if i got that bug report i say well tell me more and then i say well i can't really <laughs> so what one of the things we tried to debug this was when the process hangs to send it a a kill signal to get a stack trace but the problem is with 590 right now on linux you don't get symbolified um symbolicated stack traces uh, there's a there's a change that fixes that, that it's going to go live with 591, I believe. And once that is live, I guess what we'll, what we'll do is revert back to the task group, at least on dev, because it happened on both environments, and then just run it and see if we can get a stack trace out of it then to get more info on, on you know, have at least something better to report than this nebulous yes. hangs sometimes sort of report because what's no one no one can do anything with that really um because gwyn is is super experienced with this sort of stuff and and uh was actually trying to read the the stack that we got the you know the the raw one and sort of had some ideas but Mm -hmm. um i think we need more information for anyone else to to be
0: able to do more here so even though it's fixed it's not over
1: (laughs) it's not over no but well at least in terms of operationally is over that's great the performance hit wasn't actually as bad as i thought it'd be i think it's 50 or 60 percent, something like that which is okay um we 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 have a little headroom there we're we're not running the process back to back all the time we have a little pause there because analysis is running fast enough for our purposes so we if we were uncomfortable with sort of this running a bit slow we could reduce the delay and and have the same you know throughput effectively so that's not terrible either um yeah so i think we're all right
0: there overall it's also worth probably mentioning that the only thing this would delay is how quickly packages update after a new version is published. So we're currently running at uh, like a couple of hours, something like that. So if if yeah. depending on how far through the cycle we are, you might get lucky and it might update Im- almost immediately if your if your package was next in the update queue. Um but in worst case scenario, you're looking at a couple of hours of delay from from pushing a new release to GitHub and uh, uh the package page updating. So even if that doubled, I wouldn't I wouldn't be fretting too much. Yeah. Like I would love it if every package immediately updated of course I would that would be the best situation but this is not um this is not something that really uh, is going to affect most people and this is only versions this like the packages are all still there so people searching for packages using the package index that they're going to it's like it's a it's relatively minor in the grand scheme of things.
1: Yes and and we do prioritise new packages for immediate analysis. So if you add a package, it'll be, it'll be of course. going to the front of the queue. So this only affects if you have releases and effectively means that going through all packages once now takes probably around six hours. I haven't actually measured it. It used to take four. We also have more packages these days. So, oh my, my numbers are out of date then. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't actually checked, but you know, we have, at, early on we had, Three thousand, I think it's six thousand now. So I have doubled the packages and fifty percent slower processing. I, 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 would bet we are we've gone from three to four to maybe six hours or something like that. But um, it shouldn't be a huge problem. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's fixed. <laughs> oh yeah, so am I. <laughs> um, and pretty much in parallel to this, um, there was another problem that we started having recently, which interestingly was also a hang, but. Unrelated to this one, that was affecting our build system. Also, there it's unclear why that happened. Um, it only affected Xcode builds, like with the Xcode build command builds. So on Apple platforms, um, we have two ways of running builds. One is um, Swift PM, and the other one is Xcode build, especially you know for the iOS, tvOS, watchOS, visionOS platforms. Yes. Um and i'm not sure if it was all packages but many packages when they had a build failure they would hang um and to the best of our understanding this is a os update potentially that caused that because we had no related build changes that would cause that to happen Mm -hmm. um and yeah that's that's also something we fixed um sort of inherited another fix that helped out in this case as well so it was a, a big week
0: or two weeks since we last recorded yeah and this was this was actually causing us capacity issues with the build system because yeah. the builds that were hanging were then holding up other builds in the queue and we got into a situation where our uh where our build system was unable to keep up with the influx of new releases and versions, which is, that's the first time that's happened really. And of course, with our current hardware, that was going to happen at, at, at some point because the number of packages and the number of releases keeps increasing. Um, but um, uh, yes, it was a little bit of a, a panic stations where when the, 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 the queue of pending builds was only going up and not really coming down very much and i should mention that um max stadium uh helped us out with in the before we figured out the uh bug um just to help us keep that backlog under control uh, they um very very kindly temporarily gave us an extra machine so that we could keep on top of the backlog yeah that was great that that helped so much because you know if you
1: sort of have to fix something and at the same time keep an eye on a queue that's filling up it's it's just not great so having that sort of relief at least you know it's working again because also now the build system is doing the documentation building so it's kind of getting additional responsibility and and also you know people are relying on that more if we look at our stats in documentation um, page views, that's going up. So people are relying on the docs more and more and having issues in the build system that also affect the documentation generation isn't, just isn't great. So yeah, um, that that's really, I'm really glad that those two issues are fixed um, and sort of frees us up again.
0: <laughs> and again, just to be super, super clear, none of this affects the hosting of that documentation it's all only about how quickly that documentation and the package pages get updated after a new release yeah exactly so yeah a a couple of weeks of bugs (laughs) yeah talking of the build system i noticed a package get added to the index this week which um i think we've we've talked about windows compatibility before but the um the package is uh win swiftwinrt uh by salim abdul rasul and this is um this is a package that allows you to hook into the windows runtime uh apis on on windows of course um from swift and um the reason that i i uh i bring this up with the bill system is this is obviously a, a very interesting package it's, it uh, it enables um well it enables native windows development with swift which is quite a thing you know that's that's not uh, that's, that is that is a a major step forward in terms of um cross platform swift um and that is not to say that it's allowing Apple technologies like Swift UI and UIKit kit to run on windows this is that's not what this is <laughs> this is if you want to build a native windows application with swift this package will help you uh do that um but the, the the downside is if you look at the compatibility matrix for that package it is full of gray crosses which means that there's nothing compatible um and the reason for that is that we don't have windows compatibility testing yet and the more that happens on windows the more urgent this problem of do we tackle compatibility testing for windows uh the more the more important that becomes yeah it's i mean
1: it's gonna happen at some point right i'm i'm just peeking through the gap between my two screens here and i see my old intel macbook um and um i think i think it's going to see a see new life as perhaps a a Windows right, test machine yes.
0: <laughs> well we could we could run the yeah we could run the test machines. no just to, to
1: try it right I've never I've never run uh, or you know done anything with Swift on on Windows I mean it's just Mac OS and Linux neither I, have I I don't have a whole lot of Windows experience either I stopped using Windows in in 91 um, in earnest so I I sort of I shy away a bit from it, to be honest, even installing it and (laughs) getting into it. I know, I know we're going to have to at some point, but it's so out of my comfort zone that I sort of, um, yeah, I'm uh, currently trying to find other things to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we could run, we could run the servers. No problem. We, we, um, the, the rest of our infrastructure, that the, the build machines that do not run on, uh, Mac stadium, they run on, uh, Microsoft Azure. So if there's one place you can run windows machines reliably, it's, it's, uh, Azure. Um, yeah. so that's not, that's not a problem. Um, the, the, the issue is building that, um, you know, taking advantage of, of Windows, or, or not even taking advantage, just getting it working with Windows um, is is going to be the, uh, the the issue. But we have to tackle it. We have to. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's going to be interesting. Also, integrating it into our build system, which is um, even between Mac and Linux, there the are huge differences in how we operate those. And Linux and um, Windows will have yet another way. Yes. Potentially of of how to do that. I I suppose. I mean, it it kind of depends on on how that works i guess you know it's only swift pm build so i guess and, and probably not dockerize well i'm pretty sure it's not Dockerized, so it'll probably mirror how we do the macos builds but it's going to take some figuring out how to do that how to run the machinery we need to schedule the builds and all that stuff on windows and all that so it's um it's yeah it's going to take some piping
0: it's also, and this is this is clearly the biggest issue of of all. is It's also going to need a redesign of that compatibility matrix because we're absolutely squished right to the very edge of what fits on that <laughs> matrix right now. <laughs> so clearly, that's the biggest issue of them all—the design of it.
1: <laughs> we should probably start
0: there, and and uh, I'll I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yes, but it it certainly, it it would be lovely to see a green tick there. Definitely. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, In terms of, that wasn't a real package pick now, was it? That was, that was still. um,
0: It wasn't. That was just, uh, that was just talking about packages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have, I'm sort of in a similar situation because I have a package pick that
1: came out of a, a, um, another thing that I saw on Mastodon and that, is perhaps something we could briefly talk about and it's it's a dev tool um breadcrumbs by Marin todorov uh he he's doing these great little experiments with te- dev tools i mean he's also released some dev tools in the past but currently he's sort of using swift ui to prototype stuff and it's really great to follow along what he's doing and that kind of made me think um Dave, when's the last time you came across a new macOS OS dev tool that really embraced the platform? Can, can you, can you recall something really new?
0: Yeah, I, w- w- you asked me this question before, there's a bit of, uh, a bit of background to this. You asked me this question before the, the, the show and um, the, the only one I could come up with was Reveal, which is definitely not new, but it has just had a new release. Um, yeah. And that is, you know, for all intents and purposes, as far as we know, a successful uh developer tool um it shouldn't be a difficult market because the people who marin already knows should be his target audience for these tools um and there should be an audience a ready-made market for um developers to make developer tools that um that make viable or you know doesn't have to be a complete viable business but you know certainly support the development of the tool um and I don't really know why that's not possible, but I agree it's not really happening. The 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 other one that I uh, that springs to mind is Kaleidoscope, which is um, yeah. n- again not new, but has recently changed hands again and is receiving significant kind of development updates regularly. You know, almost every yeah. every few weeks they put out a new version with some new feature. Which honestly, it's a fantastic tool. It's really it's a really great diff tool if you uh, if you haven't checked it out um, and. And that, the, the pricing of that is certainly, um, you know, it's subscription pricing, so it should be sustainable. It should be enough to build a business on the back of, uh, but it is a tough market to get into at the moment. And that's a perfect example because I have that in
1: my notes. Kaleidoscope, I use it effectively every day. I am on Kaleidoscope 3 because I've looked at the feature list of four, the one that changed to subscription pricing, and I, I sort of struggle to see the value proposition a bit. In in my particular case, I, I don't even know, I don't remember what the differences were, but when I looked at it, I thought, yeah, I think, you know, what would make me switch is, you know, if an OS update sort of made three not work anymore. And I understand that is actually a a feature that, that you need to pay for, you know, maintenance of a tool that, you know, changes across OS versions. And I'm happy to do that at some point. It's just that like right now, I, I didn't make the switch yet. And I think a lot of that is because our expectations around pricing have changed so much with the effectively the pricing development on, on the app store, right? We've sort of been trained to expect lower and lower prices. If if I told my past self, you know, like 10, 20 years ago, there's a dev tool that costs a hundred euros per year, yeah that's that's normal business and but it's not anymore it's like it really stands out as a as a price and it, it shouldn't but we and it's really hard even if if you are thinking about this you are affected by these low prices because that's what you compare it to and it, it's really bizarre and at the same time you know, we lament this decline in in tools i can't last thing i could think of that i bought was nova mm-hmm. um which also isn't new right they're on version four, something i believe but i only just started using it recently um it's we lament the absence of these tools at the same time we are all sort of affected by the low prices and sort of don't then chip in when, when when there are tools that are are certainly worth it. Um, it's 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 a really bizarre situation, and clearly, I mean, I, I think if if the market was better, some of these experiments, you know, that Marin is is making, would probably turn into proper products. But I mean, I I don't know, but I think the main reason he isn't wrapping them up and publishing them because. Um, and I know he tried it with a couple of things in the past is that they they don't tend to be sustainable in the end I mean I know from my little app that I have which isn't effectively a, a dev tool but a, a you know a window management tool that is that's nowhere near something that that would um, would sustain uh, any sort of indie career it's mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. And I have a dev tool as well on the app store, an Xcode um, plugin. It's nothing. There's just nothing happening. (laughs) Um, And I don't do any marketing, so there's no surprise, but it's also not, this isn't happening on its own. So there's clearly um,
0: something off. I think this also comes into the whole subscription pricing thing. Like you, You just said it then, that if somebody said to you, um, this tool that you use and rely on is going to be a hundred pounds per year. And you say, well, that's, that's a decision I can make. Yes or no on that. And, and it's the old way of doing it would be that you pay the money and then a year later or something like that, you pay some more money for an upgrade to the latest version of it or whatever like that, that worked for many, many years. And there's very, There's actually very little difference between that model and the subscription model apart from that you lose access to the running piece of software that you currently have with the subscription model. And in reality, that I don't think is a huge issue, but mentally that is an enormous blocker because... yeah you feel like well i'm paying for this thing and therefore and i'm not saying this is a this is the correct you know there's no such thing as a correct opinion here but but there is something fundamental in us that says well i'm paying for this thing therefore i should own this thing and that switch to subscriptions is in reality is a very is a very trivial switch for the actual amounts of money that change hands but that there's something in our brains that doesn't like that uh, switch.
1: <laughs> yes, and, and there's actually, I mean, if I just think about it rationally, there's a great argument for subscription pricing is, I, I don't really love it when software sort of comes up with point releases to charge money right. and features that mm-hmm. really don't do anything, right? There's there's that happening as well. That's just feature creep for the purpose of being able to charge someone. I'd actually rather pay for just plain maintenance and picking features that make sense rather than you know give it all sorts of bells and whistles that have no, no business of being there other than, all right, I need to charge you something, so I need to ship something. And that's also a weird business model right it's it's <laughs> but we are yeah it's this subscription fatigue is real you know if you have this feeling right I've signed oh, up for really this is. and then yeah. everything everything hits me I, I often sign up for stuff and then immediately cancel it so I don't I don't um yeah. I hate it when stuff renews and and I forgot about it uh, so
0: yeah Yes, I do the same. I also I also set reminders in my calendar to say, you know, cancel this a year. Let's say like, I pay for a year or something, and yeah. I put a reminder in saying like, <laughs> it's not necessarily cancel it, but just like make that decision: did this pan out or not? um uh so so my calendar my, my reminders uh folder is full of uh full of those uh before we move on from this topic i should just mention um for disclosure i do uh, i did receive a copy of kaleidoscope for um uh for free I, I i reviewed it for ios dev weekly so um just to disclose that that is that is the case that i i did uh receive a free copy of that cool is it package time then I think it is. We've um I think we 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 were chatting before the show saying we've not got much to talk about and here we are um uh, <laughs> 32 minutes in already. So let's let's maybe keep it a short uh, set of packages this week. Let's do that. Do you want to kick us off? Sure thing. Um I will kick us off with a package called uh Grape by Zen Lee. Um I I actually linked to this in iOS Dev Weekly a couple of weeks ago. Um this is a visualization packages for connected nodes of information you might have seen this um quite often runs in um javascript in fact i um i forget the name of it now but there was a uh, a swift um uh, an application written in swift that that inspected swift dependencies and displayed them in this format of 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 charts and it's kind of like an animated node mm. graph where there are a whole load of dots on the canvas and then each dot is connected. So one dependency would be connected to another dependency or whatever it is that you're uh, modeling. Um, and then they have, they all have kind of a little bit of physics applied to them. So as they settle, um, they, the dots kind of push each other apart a little bit and then you can normally, you can, you can interact with them, pull them apart, inspect them, click in, maybe navigate through to, uh, you know, through a hierarchy of dependencies or something like that. Anyway, that's. I'm sure if you if you have a look at the the, the README file, you'll recognise immediately this style of uh, visualization. Um, but as I say, everything I've seen so far has been doing this in JavaScript, and in fact, even the Swift uh, application that I mentioned before that uh, that that booted up, as far as I know, it booted up a um, a web view and then visualised it within the web view this is a swift native implementation of uh, that and it looks great um uh this is the kind of thing that um if you need this kind of display then you should absolutely check this package out
1: great uh, that sounds great um right my first pick this week is called Firefly. And this is the package I alluded to earlier. Um, It's a dependency that Maren Todorov is using in his little prototype breadcrumbs. Um, And so just to explain what breadcrumbs actually does, breadcrumbs is a little experiment, uh, a Mac app that looks for to do and fix fix it, or fix me markers rather in in Xcode projects. So you have a little viewer of those um, and, it shows the marker and some context around it and you can click on that and it brings up the file in Xcode uh, so you can, you know, sort of traverse your project for to-dos and fix it, get a view of, you could effectively use them as, as little to-do items, sprinkled throughout the code without actually needing to set up anything other than putting those markers in, which you probably have anyway. Um, and that's a nice little tool, and in his main view where he's showing this, the context around the to-do, like Swift code, um, that's syntax highlighted. And Firefly is the syntax highlighter that Marin is using in his project. Um, and this is nice. I think we've mentioned uh, syntax highlighting packages in the past, and they've all been based on, I believe, JavaScript libraries that was embedded in, in um, uh, what's, the, what's the framework? Do you know, uh, is it JS core is the framework, right? That's being used to absorb those. Um, But this is a pure Swift package. So there's no fiddling with JavaScript wrappers or anything. Um, You know, that usual packaging of it, it's a pure Swift package and you can just run the code through it and you get a view and you can display the um, highlighted, uh, syntax highlighted text. So that's um, oh, I didn't actually say the author that's Taylor Lyman is the author, Firefly by Taylor Lynneman.
0: That sounds great, yeah. And just to also talk about that um uh, the app that uh, Marin was using it in, I think that's it's a great idea for an application. I'm not sure it supports subscription pricing, but it's a great idea. and it, I, I know that we have a whole load of to do's in our um in our code base that it would surface. <laughs> <laughs> well it's uh, the app is open
1: source right now so um you can subscribe by um i'm not sure if maren has a, a sponsor button on his github but uh if you are so inclined and he does that's a way to do that if he doesn't he should have yeah, yeah. he definitely should he definitely he might we'll, if he does we'll add a link to the show notes and uh then you can head over and support him
0: I I haven't yet tried uh, his uh, app, but I did see, um, I think I saw it actually in a Slack. Um, He he posted a screenshot of it somewhere as well. Yeah. My next package is pretty niche. (laughs) Um, It's by Leon Hopp and uh, it's called Swift ISO 8601 Duration Parser. So for many years um, before Foundation added an 8601 date parser. Uh, There was a very popular package for parsing these 8601 dates um, because it's a common format um, in in many web APIs. In fact, I would say it is the default date format in most um, uh, web APIs. Um, But then Apple added to Foundation an ISO 8601 uh, uh, compatible formatter and all our problems were solved. Until this week, I didn't realize that there was a new type, or not, it's not new at all, but uh, a different type of ISO 8601 um, uh, date-related formatting. And that is, you can format durations in 8601 as well. So you could say, for example... Uh, pt12h is 12 hours, Uh, p3d is three days, Uh, p3dt12h is three days, 12 hours. And this is actually quite a useful format. I I didn't even know this existed until uh, I spotted this package uh, uh, the last week. Um, And Leon has put together a parser for it. In fact, Leon put together a parser for it five years ago. It's been in development for, for a long time. Uh, I just hadn't spotted it until now.
1: Nice, interesting. I did not know that was actually specified out. I mean, we've sort of kind of, you'd kind of think like 3D, 3W and stuff like that is is sort of the common way, but the, you're saying, right, there's a P prefix to these that makes it sort of more, a more stable format. Did I get that right in your description? Pretty much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Although also it's, it's, it's more than that because it's, uh, because the, the, the three days, 12 hours one is P3D, which is the P, whatever that means and the 3D, but then there's a T 12 hours. So it's, there's more to the format than just a number, the letter P and then three, 3D 12 H. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure that there, there is a link to Wikipedia. I, I haven't clicked it. Interesting. But. Uh, P is the duration designator for period. Okay, placed at the start of the duration rep- representation. T is the time designator that precedes the time components in a representation. Okay, interesting. Nice. Thank, thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> There's another subscription. I, uh, the, I, I, I subscribe to Wikipedia every year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My second pick is a package called auto swift by joe heck um, i actually thought we talked about this in the past that we might have mentioned it but i didn't find it in our, our previous show notes um, so if we have the reason i'm bringing it up again is that joe has published a blog post announcing the latest release of the package and what's new i think apart from it being I think more sort of on the road to feature complete is that he's added added an example app that actually uses the library. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little app to manage meeting notes. Um, and the package is a, a library for CRDTs, which are conflict-free replicated data types. So this is a, a tool for building or a library for building collaborative systems. Where you can have data types that you can distribute. You know, people can edit them independently, and then they can be merged. And there's so the way that it, it's promised to be conflict-free. So you won't you won't run into merge conflicts um, due to the magic of this library. I'm not sure if it's if it's ruled out categorically by ways of how the algorithm works. Um, I I think it is. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I've read quite a bit about them, but It's, it's a a big field. There's lots of different ways of implementing them. Auto merge is one uh, way of implementing them. Um, and what's interesting here is there is actually an underlying library, rust library that powers this, and this is a swift adaptation of it, or I think a wrapper around it. Uh, So it's a a API layer that uses the rust library. I believe I need to, I, I didn't actually delve into it that deeply. Um, and the interesting part is that um, because it's a Rust library and then also available for other platforms, it gives you a better chance of developing a system where Apple platforms or Swift platforms are just one part of what's using that as an exchange format. The Rust library would work on other platforms as well, and you could mm-hmm. then exchange, you know, the files and and work with it across platforms, I guess, more easily than, than would normally be the case. So really nice. And I really like that. There's an example app where you can play around with it and see how it works. Uh, and that's auto merge by Joe
0: Heck. I, I have Joe's blog post on this library in my uh, reading list for this week, so thanks for the uh, thanks for the <laughs> recap of that. I I, <laughs> I will still read it, but you saved me uh, you saved me half the job.
1: <laughs> there we go, Joe coming up for this Friday, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, I know I know that this has been uh, a, a topic that has been on on Joe's mind for a long time now, uh, and so uh, yeah, it's it's great to see. And again, I I am not um an expert on the intricacies of uh, CRDTs Ts. i can't I don't even know the acronym i think it's CRDTs right yeah yeah <laughs> or is it CDRTs no CRDTs um, <laughs> that's how that's how little <laughs> CRDTs that's how little of an expert i am on them um but i also believe that they that they are potentially immune to those to conflicts. I mean that's the whole point, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. What I really want to happen um is that someone takes the previous pick, Firefly, and this Auto Merge library and builds a markdown collaborative editor. And um I'm looking at you there, Maren, you're you're apparently experimenting with prototypes yeah. right now. Just <laughs> Joe might help as well.
0: <laughs> you all go off. <laughs> Sub Ether Edit. Do you remember Sub Ether Edit? Oh yes, edit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sub Ether Edit was part of the reason that I bought a Mac. Yeah, <laughs> um, many I people did that. I was at did, a I conference yeah, yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was. A, I, I remember vividly. I was at a conference in San Diego. Um, it was um O'Reilly's E Tech Conference and uh, this Emerging Technologies Conference, and um, I walked into the conference hall on the first night it was it was a strange layout to the conference a strange schedule to the conference that the the keynotes were on the evening of the first day and then the conference started properly the next morning so and i remember walking into this hall and seeing yeah so many people taking notes with uh sub ether edit because it it used Bonjour to connect, and so if somebody was was using Sabita Edit in a room, you could automatically see the people around who were <laughs> who were also editing, and everybody was editing um, uh, the, the the their kind of joint conference notes on uh, in this application. And at the time, I, I was a, a Windows user um, still, and. Um, uh, I, before I left San Diego, I had, uh, gone into an Apple store and bought a Mac. <laughs> nice. This, this is, this is really
1: part of what we were talking about earlier, right? These dev tools. I mean, this, would this happen today? I, I really, I wonder, right? It's, I mean, I'm, don't recall It Was it always free? No, I think that was a, I don't no, remember, it was paid, yeah,
0: yeah. Such great tools that were. Yeah, and it was a great tool and and the, the the richness of that app ecosystem on the Mac was absolutely the reason the platform was just just flat out, straight without I, I say this without any hesitation, it was better. It was absolutely better. It's because yes. of that native application ecosystem and partly um uh the fact that everything moved towards the web and therefore Electron became a thing and, you know, that's, that's part of what happened. But I think it's more than that. Yeah.
1: Well, TextMate is the other thing, right, that was equally powerful in attracting people to the platform. I mean, I'm, I still have TextMate up. Right now it's, it's sort
0: of my note taking scratch pad or, you know, config file editing thing. So if you want the full if you want the full story, it was a combination of Sub Edit and Textmate because I was I was also experimenting with um with Ruby at the time and and Rails was just Rails was like yeah. 0.5 version 0.5 or something like that at the time and and there was an amazing, very famous uh video that um David Heinemer Hansen made at the time where he built a blog software, he built some blog software with Rails Using TextMate um, in like five minutes or something like that, and it was a great demo, really, really great demo. And uh, TextMate was a big part of why it was a great demo because it was the first editor I'd seen that had auto expanding snippets. And the com- I, so I I I was already thinking about buying a map. it. It wasn't only Sabita Edit, Sabita <laughs> Edit was the, the 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 final straw, the last straw. Um, but TextMate was was there. Textmate was was the initial initial kind of push towards it, and then uh, Sub it broke uh, <laughs> broke the camel's back.
1: <laughs> nice, yeah. I mean, they're were, they were great tools. They were really great, great tools.
0: Yeah, really, yeah so in in uh, most before we before we get more stories of uh of how we all got into this platform let's uh, wrap it up there shall we um we will be back in a couple of weeks with some more um news hopefully no more bugs and uh, of course some more package recommendations so i will speak to you in a couple of weeks
1: yep see you in two weeks
0: bye-bye all right bye-bye